Your Bibles, I want you to open those to the Gospel of Mark. We are continuing a series on the Gospel of Mark, otherwise we'd be somewhere else. And in Mark chapter 1, we're picking up in verse 21 together today. And the big idea that we have for our text is that when we look into the Scriptures, that there is a unity between Christ's words and Christ's actions. And this unity between his words and his actions recurringly astonishes the people who are interacting with him. There's a unity between the actions and the words of Jesus. Now, if we remember from last week, whenever you're dealing with the Gospel of Mark, you see over and over and over that Jesus is acting. More than any other Gospel, we see Jesus acting in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus doing Jesus interacting, Jesus dealing with demons, Jesus healing the sick. Mark's short gospel shows us this recurringly. And when we pick up in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 today, there is this tone of the text. There is this response of the people that this Jesus is different. He's different than anyone they've interacted with. He's different than anyone they've ever seen He's calling them to things that are unlike anyone has ever called them to. This Jesus is acting in a way that is altogether different. So Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Feel free to read along with me in your Bibles. They went into Capernaum, and he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. They were astonished at his teachings because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue and he cried out, What do you have to do with me, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent, and he came out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed. They were all amazed. So they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching? Teaching with authority? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, and he took her by the hand, and he raised her up. The fever had left her. And she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and and the demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus speaking as God to these people. Jesus speaking the words of truth. Jesus speaking with full, unbridled authority in this text. This astonishment that comes from those who happen to hear Jesus. It's unique to see astonishment when you read a text like this. Astonishment is something that we don't get to really acknowledge in groups as much anymore. We really acknowledge it in different ways. 
When I first got here, I was texting a church member and I sent a GIF. Any GIF people in the room? I know you. Some of you use them. Some of you have those Androids. But when, I know they, they use them too. And as I was sending these texts to this friend, there was, when I sent my GIF, he replied, all right, that's too much technology. We have come full circle and now he sends me GIFs. Uh, in reply to text messages. Here are some popular ones that are in uh, connection to astonishment or wow. You may notice some of those. Or maybe you use the, the tap back option. On, those aren't really GIFs because they're not moving. I wish they were. But the internet won't let us do that. A- another one that we have are just some, some pictures that you may use from your emoji board on your cell phone. Maybe it's the wow face. Maybe it's the, the exclamation point. This astonishment that we see throughout the scriptures. Maybe you just tap back or use the big odd emoji you want to express this unique astonishment that you were overwhelmed by something when we are in this text today you see this consistent theme that these people as they interact with Jesus are regularly astonished by him and the reason for their astonishment is that he is so unlike anyone else they've ever heard he's so different than anyone else that's ever taught them Jesus, when it tells us in verses 21 and 22, they went into Capernaum right away. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he began to teach. Any man could go in and begin to teach in the synagogue. Here's some pictures of what Capernaum looks like. I've got a picture of the, of the sign that when you walk through the gates of the city, it looks like this. See, it tells you exactly where you are. They're very direct in, in Jerusalem. And, and then when you get into the city, you've got this place where you stand. Now this is around a 5th century synagogue. But underneath it you've got a 4th century one. But the picture conveys what's, we'll come to that later, but you've got a picture that conveys of someone standing, teaching, giving the same information that everyone who stands in that place happens to give. This recurring teaching. These men, as a matter of fact, are uh, tour guides telling you the story of Israel, telling you the story of Capernaum, telling you the story of Jerusalem. In similar way, when you would look into the synagogues, the various rabbis of their day and the synagogue leaders would teach the people. And when they would teach the people, they would just quote people. No one wanted to stand before anyone with authority and ask anyone to do anything or have any expectation whatsoever. They would just say, well, this rabbi said this and that rabbi said that. And every now and then they would even go as deep as to go back to Moses, but because no one could really read, they couldn't even interact with Moses. They didn't know if Moses said that or not. So you have these people every single time they go to the synagogue hearing these various teachers teaching in the synagogue. And as they hear this teaching, the consistent teaching that's there, It's just buzz. It's white noise. They go because they believe they're supposed to go. They're there because they think they're supposed to be there. Yet it's this thing that you just do for the sake of doing. Jesus comes in. And it says they were astonished at his teaching in verse 22. Because he was teaching them as one who had authority. Not like their scribes. They say Moses, or they say this rabbi, or that rabbi. However, here, Jesus speaks as one who fully understands all that is supposed to be said. And the reason for that is pretty simple. He's saying things about himself. When he would teach in the synagogue, we have a picture of what might have been said in the Sermon on the Mount. 
when Jesus said, you've heard this said, but I say this to you. You've heard them tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. Because Jesus is talking here and giving a full display of what God looks like, what God sounds like, how God cares. He is showing them how, what it means to interact with God himself. My best friend Zach is as a pastor to various pastors in the Chattanooga area. He, he drives around within an hour to two hours of where he lives, and he'll meet with groups of pastors to encourage them, to, to equip them, to, to listen to them, ministering to them. And there was a day where we were having a conversation about what his job is and why his job happens to be that. And he said this, if you want someone to really open up, have the person tell you about his or her own life. Have them tell you about themselves. When you get Jesus in the synagogue, you are asking Jesus to talk about the Scriptures, and in so doing, you are asking Jesus to talk about Himself. If you want to know why that was said in Leviticus, because it was pointing to me. If you want to know why that was said in Exodus, it's because it's taking you to me. If you would like to know why that's said in Genesis, it's taking you to me. If you would like to know why that happened in the prophets, it's because it's talking about me. Going further into the New Testament. If we want to interact with the epistles, it's because they're talking about Jesus. The whole of the Bible tells us about Jesus. Jesus spoke for God, not just about God. And that's an altogether different thing. And when he does this, there are some who are obviously bothered by him. It's not the normal people like me and you. The people who are bothered by Jesus, the religious leaders, and demons. That's who's bugged by Jesus. His presence bothers them. His inter interacting with him bothers them. The word authority in this passage, as best we can tell from breaking it down from, from an ancient language, is this. It means that Jesus spoke as one with sovereign freedom without hindrance or inhibition. So there was nothing that Jesus said that was, uh, that was removed from actual truth. And when he would speak to these people, he's speaking as God himself to them so that they could hear from God. And as he speaks as one with authority, he also acted as one with authority. And he did this in big ways and he did this in small ways. We see him interacting as one with authority in big ways when we see what takes place in verse 23, when he casts out a demon. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was there in the synagogue. Now, I'm not sure how long this guy's been there. I'm not sure if this is his first time that he's shown up at the synagogue or this is a recurring thing for him. But he's there at the synagogue. And remember, if everyone else sees that Jesus' teaching is different, he, if he's been there recurringly, would maybe think that the teaching of Jesus was different. Maybe he would have no reason to stand up and say anything to these various rabbis who are teaching their various rabbinical teachings. But when this Jesus speaks, he has a question. He has a comment. He has probably a snide remark. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was there in the synagogue and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This man, possessed with an evil spirit, confronts God. You have the kingly rule of Jesus versus the power of darkness that Jesus defeats in Mark chapter 1. You have the Holy One of God. This phrase is him honestly attempting to... He is attempting to bow up to Jesus. That's exactly what's taking place here. 
We have a ministry to fifth through eighth graders that meets on Wednesday nights. And I have some kids. Where are my kids that go to? Any of the kids go to that? Okay, look at these guys interacting with me. There are also some dads that show up at that. If you're a dad, I want you, you don't have to raise your hand because I know you're probably in pain from a Wednesday night. But they go every single week. And I have some actual quotes from some of those dads. One of them said, I've decided that I should only go 50% if I want to be able to go to work the next day. Uh, another one of them let, uh, on his first encounter with these kids, said, every bone in my body hurts. The other night, there was an interaction between one of these dads and one of the fifth grade boys who happens to be mine. And the fifth grade boy jumped in front of the dad, knocking the football down. And when he did, he decided that he would bow up at this dad and tell him, get that out of my house. That child does not own a house. He's never paid a mortgage. Get that out of my house. Now, he was bowing up on a man who literally wrestles bulls. And I told him, please stay away from him. All together. We look at this text and we see Jesus in this passage dealing with someone who has no place bowing up to him. No power in his presence. It's already been declared in Mark chapter 1. In the early portions of the text, when Jesus deals with Satan, Alistair Begg says it this way, it's impossible for, the absolute, for absolute clarity and authority of God not to confront the hidden dimensions of evil because there's a radical, significant, phenomenal, huge difference between, difference between light and darkness. The very presence of Jesus confronts this demon and the authority of Jesus deals with this man. Dealing with the demons that are there. Compassion to the man. Ferocious authority de declaring himself to the demon. Ray Ortland, one of my favorite pastors, says this. When the kingdom of God gets us to glorying in the commanding presence of Jesus Christ, then the demons tremble. Jesus rebuked him in verse 25 and said this. Be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of the man. Jesus says to the demon, in a sense, just shut up. Don't talk. And this is where we may get pragmatic and practical, and we think to ourselves, well, if he's talking about Jesus, isn't that good? Jesus doesn't need demons to announce who he is. It's not as if he has been affirmed by the demonic presences. He does not become a better God or a better Messiah because of those. Jesus declares who he is through his authority. Just shut up. Just shut up. The Bible identifies over and over the various things that we're going to deal with as followers of Jesus. The things that are going to cause sinful struggles in each and every one of us. That we would deal with the world, we would deal with the flesh, we would deal with the devil. And these are enemies that are going to continue to come after us. Coming after the hearts and minds of a believing people. For you, if you are someone who is in Jesus, what hope would you offer to deliver them from this bondage? If someone were to say to you, I'm overwhelmed by this, I'm struggling with that, my heart is wrestling with this, would you declare the astonishing Jesus of the Bible, this Messiah, or do you declare something less, a pragmatic, practical religion? What war are you choosing to wage? 
Not just, in your, not just in the lives of your friends, but in your own life. Are you dealing with your own pride? Are you dealing with your own fear, your anxiety, your depression, your self-pity, your anger? Are you allowing the Jesus of the Bible who speaks to demons and tells them to shut up and they shut up to deal with the things in you that also need to shut up? They were amazed at this Jesus. And they began to ask each other, what is this? I love that because if we're going to use, let's just take that phrase in our best modern vernacular. They look at Jesus and they say to themselves, what do we have here? A new teacher teaching with authority? He commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, news about him spread through the entirety of Galilee. It would be easy to be puffed up right here. You've shown up at the synagogue. You took over. You have said things that everyone needs to hear. You made a demon flee. Nobody expected that but you. What's he supposed to do now? 29. He goes from a really big problem to what our world and more than likely his world would seem like a minor problem because there's a sick little lady do we really need Jesus going to deal with these minute situations the Jesus who cares for the cosmic order the Jesus who the universe depends on to spin the way that it spins cares about these small situations at least in our eyes he goes into the house of Simon who is Peter who more than likely Mark had a long going conversation with to get the points for the gospel of Mark he goes into his house where his mother-in-law is sick. And he has something that is taking place there. Simon's mother-in-law, verse 30, was lying in bed with a fever. And they told him about her. They didn't go to find more demons. They told him about her. Because those little things that matter to Simon are big things for him. And Jesus cares about those. The mercy and the grace and compassion of God cares about those things. They told him about her at once. So he went to her. He took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them all. I grew up with my grandmother, and I've shared about her multiple times in here. If she wasn't sick, she was cooking, so that's the imagery that I have here. I never saw her sit down for a meal. She's just working around, serving people, caring for who happened to be there. 
But it's weird because the word that's used here is the exact, for her serving and caring for them, is the exact same word that we see early in the gospel when the angels minister to Jesus. So we see this idea of macro, micro, big and small, and we see both of those are part of what God would have for his people to see. That we would serve for the sake of acknowledging who this Jesus is. Illness is a consequence of the fall. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, and it runs throughout the Bible. We see it in Romans chapter 8, the idea of the brokenness of the world, how sin has shattered everything. Yet here we see in this passage, this Jesus, the one who you claim to align your life with, and the one that I hope that I'm aligning my life with, that he has power over sickness. He has power over illness, and thus his power affects the fall. That's not something for us to miss. Jesus dealing with the ramifications of the fall in the sickness of this woman is what we see in the life of a believer when Jesus dealing with the ramifications of sin and hell and death and anger and rage and despair and all of that. It's when he deals with the sin in you and in me. Jesus making himself known. These examples that we see in this text are for the primary purpose of showing us that Jesus has authority over things that no one else does. When evening came, after the sun had set, in verse 32, they brought to him all those who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed. So if you're unfamiliar, Sabbath, you just don't move. You turn off your phone. You don't pay, take pictures of things. No tick-tock, no tick-tack, nothing. Sabbath is over at sundown. When the sun sets, they all come. Because this Jesus who had authority over the demon and the sickness of this woman... Maybe, just maybe, he'll have authority over my sickness. Maybe he'll deal with what's oppressing me. They brought to him all those who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door and healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. And again, he don't, doesn't let the demons speak because they knew him. They eventually try to speak again at the end of Mark's gospel. When darkness sets, when sin and death and hell try to speak to the sovereign God, this Messiah on a cross. When men were used to scourge him, to nail him to a cross, they try to speak. question this authority that he's been declaring to the entirety of Mark, to question the authority that he speaks into each and every believer in this room. Yet on the cross, he completes this healing work of God that we sang about just a few moments ago. He undoes death and tells hell to go where it belongs. This Jesus declaring that he is God of all things. 
throughout Mark's gospel, we see this unity between the words of Christ and his actions. And this unity astonishes people. So if I were to ask us as the believing people who gathered together at 1027 Dixie Drive every single Sunday, is there a unity in in Christ's words and his actions that astonishes people through the way that you have aligned your life? What do you mean? That's what I would ask myself if I asked myself questions. I would encourage us to think of how the whole Bible takes us to this person of Jesus. The whole Bible has the full-scale, inerrant authority of God speaking to us as his people. And I know many of you, and I know the claims that you make about following Jesus. So if we're going to ask questions about following, we're asking, do we really follow? Do you follow Jesus? Aligning yourself with what his words say. When he says things to you like this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's the word of God for his people. Do you, as you consider your scheduling and you consider your gathering and what it means for you to be present with other believers, do you consider and take seriously the words of God spoken to us from the author of the book of Hebrews when he says this, let us consider with one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. As you wrestle with your own pride that we've already looked at in this text to an extent, would you ask yourself this? For by the grace given to me, according to Romans chapter 12, do you realize this, that that he would say to you, I tell everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you should think. What about the simplicity of love? When in John chapter 13, we see this God... God meant Jesus, the Messiah, saying to us, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I've loved you, just love one another. By this, everybody knows that you're my disciple, that you love one another. That's alignment with the Messiah. Chad, I would do whatever Jesus needed me to do if he were here. But I'm just not really sure what he thinks about my scheduling and my pride, and my stuff. Because he's not really here, is he? I shared a quote from Pastor Ray Ortland earlier. The book Gentle and Lowly, and we've got copies if you would like one. His son Dane says this, Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and the sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through His Spirit, Christ's very own heart envelops His people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected His heart. The same heart now acts in the same way towards us, for we are now His body. So I would ask us as a gathered people again, is there unity between what you believe Christ's words teach and the actions that you put in to play. Do those astonish people? Because this Messiah that you say you believe in, that you've aligned your life with, he doesn't do anything less 
than astonish when people interact with him. Here's what I want to do this morning. I invite you to bow your heads. hope if you're not a believer in this room that you've been astonished by the message of Jesus today as Jesus comes after the dark spots in your heart and your mind would you see that he wants to meet you there and be hope and resurrection for you for a believing people. Many of you who I know and who claim to follow Jesus and who I believe based on your testimony that you do. What are the places where his word and his actions are out of alignment? Would you surrender yourself to that? I'm in my right I'm on my right hand side of the room. If there's anything that I can meet with you about to pray for, whether you need to be baptized because you you've been with us enough to know we lean into that. We believe that followers of Jesus should be baptized. If that's where you are, I want you to come talk to me. Right now, we'll figure out when that needs to happen, but let, let's think through that together. If you believe that Christ crucified and resurrected is your hope, Let's tell people that. If you look at your own heart and see you've been thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, number one, join the club because I'm there. But can we pray together about that? And be astonished that Jesus would meet us in spite of our pride and arrogance? Jesus is always coming after us. As his people. Pushing things to the side. and Saying, follow me, trust me, trust me. Just trust me. So let's trust him. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that your word is good and that it's sufficient. And I pray that you will meet us as your people in Christ's name. Would you stand as we continue to worship?